And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the lunch, you man. Sam, sweetheart. Don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will conclude The Bickersons from 1951. Then it's part one of a ten-part mystery on Adventures by Morse from 1946. By my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Dimply? Nothing. What's up, Carl? I'm good. Good, good to I'm see good you. I'm good, too. Thank you. Look who we got over there. I don't know who that is. I don't know who I am. The tall, <laughs> dark, and handsome Oh, there Mike we go. Gustella. Thought you were talking about yourself for a minute. Well, I'm... You do do that. I'm handsome. <laughs> I'm dark, but I don't know how tall I actually am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you going to do? Well, last time we had tons of laughs. With the Bickersons, Lou Parker and Francis Langford. This is called John's Snoring Dilemma. Here's the conclusion now of the Bickersons. <laughs> Dear, I must see that he gets a good night's rest. John, mm. wake up. What's the matter, Blanche? What's the matter? How can you sleep like that? I cleaned the kitchen, I plucked the canary, I scaled the goldfish, and I milked the cat. Everything's taken care of. Let me sleep. <laughs> John, what are you talking about? We're in the hospital. Who's sick? Nobody's sick. You're going to have an operation. Dr. Rasper's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Then what did you wake me up now for? Well, you were snoring. I was afraid you'd wear it off before I got a chance to operate. I don't know why I let you talk me into this. Who made that broken-down Dr. Rasper such an authority on... Stop cranking the bed up. What are you doing, Blanche? You weren't sleeping properly, and I'm supposed to see that you get a good night's rest. I was sleeping fine. Why did you tilt me like this? I was afraid the snores would roll down your throat and poison you. Blanche, will you please crank me down? You keep your voice down, John Bickerson. You're disturbing the other patients. I still don't know why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do it. I'm beginning to think it's a waste of money. I could have used that fifty dollars. Still walking around in a short dress. What are you beefing about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around in a short uvula. <laughs> Put out the lights. You mustn't excite yourself, dear. Open your mouth. What for? Just hand me that thermometer. I want to take your temperature. Blanche, they took my temperature eight different ways. <laughs> well, I'll check it again before we go to sleep. We? Blanche, what are you doing in your nightgown? You're not going to sleep here, are you? Yes, I am. It only costs $5 extra to have that cot moved in here, and that silly night nurse gets $10 a day. What about it? Well, I'm going to take her place and save the money. Now, open your mouth like a good boy. There. Keep that thermometer in there while I check your pulse. Hmm. There isn't any nurse that can do anything that I can. There, your pulse is normal. It's steady as clockwork. You've got your fingers on my wristwatch. (laughs) You shouldn't be wearing a wristwatch. Not good to have constriction when you're sleeping. Let me see that thermometer. Yeah. What does it say? Murphy's Bar and Grill. (laughs) What was this swizzle stick doing in that glass? I had them deliver me a highball. If you think that hot water bottle is full of hot water, you're out of your mind. (laughs) 
bourbon. If Dr. Rasper knew about this, he wouldn't operate on you. Why don't you tell him? I'd love it. Now, please don't get excited, dear. It's my job to see that you get a good night's rest, and I'm not going to let anything disturb you. Well, put out the lights. I want to be sure that you have the right sleeping position. Now, stretch your feet out a little more. Mm. And move over in the center. Mm. Don't bury your head that way. There. Are you comfortable? Fine. Relax? Hmm. Will you be able to sleep well? Sleep well. That's fine. Now get up and unpack my bag. <laughs> Pack your bag? I thought you were putting me to sleep. I was just testing. Unpack my bag, John. Why don't you unpack it? I have to refill this hot water bottle. I don't need any hot water bottle. Not for you, it's for me. What? I still have a little indigestion from those clams I ate for dinner. Yeah. You always take me to those cheap restaurants. Old dinner disagreed with me. It wouldn't dare. <laughs> Don't start getting irritable. I've done plenty for you, so you can do something for me. Unpack my bag, John. Uh, where's my slipper? Did you bring my slipper? It's under the bed in that little foot bath. Foot bath? Big nurse. <laughs> Look at the size of this suitcase. What did you bring it for? It only staying one night. You never can tell. Put the stuff away. There's no closet. Where will I put these dresses? In the drawers. What do you want these drawers? In the dresser. <laughs> okay, now I can get some... Blanche! Crank me up, John. What are you doing in my bed? I'm the one who's getting operated on. You have no right to be in my bed eating fruit and candy. Maybe you'd like me to send you some flowers. No, but tell the floor nurse I can have visitors between two and four tomorrow. I'll feel better then. Am I supposed to sleep in that old wooden cot? Yes, it's easier to watch over you from here. There's nothing but a spring on this cot, not even a mattress. Well, that'll keep you off your back and you won't snore tonight. Just crawl between the blankets. I want you to be well rested for the operation. <sighs> Put out the lights. In a minute. Was everything all right at the house when you left? Fine. I would have checked things myself if I didn't have to prepare you for your admission here. Maybe I should have stayed home. Hmm. John, I'm worried about the house. Don't worry. I think I left the electric heater on in the bathroom. It might burn the place up. Won't burn. Did you turn it off? No. Well, how do you know it won't start a fire? I left the water running in the bathtub. <laughs> oh, stop popping your topper. I checked everything. You should have taken the animals with us. Mm. Poor little canary is locked in the cage, and cat can't get out of the house, and who's going to feed the goldfish? I'll bet they're terribly unhappy. Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation. They are not. They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing. Fishing? Where? <laughs> In the goldfish bowl, and he was using the canary for bait. <laughs> the canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead. Why are you so mean? I'm not mean. I'm full of those sleeping pills, and I can't keep my eyes open. Now, put out the lights. I'll be through in a minute. Blanche, why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't know you had bald eyelids. <laughs> are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. I do, too. You do not. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. <laughs> are you going to let me get some sleep? Yes, dear. Just close your eyes. I'm going to read the paper for a little while. Read the paper? There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk. <laughs> Listen to what Senator Blanche, said. Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. 
Dr. Rasper told me to keep you occupied so you won't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. That's a good boy. Mustn't get nervous. Mmm. You see what's happening to the stock market? It's going to pieces. Well, why can't we get a piece of it? <laughs> Put away the paper, Blanche. What's the name of that stock you bought last year? I told you 50 times. Kentucky Saltpeter Mines. <laughs> Preferred. Can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Oh, listen to this. Here's a story about a doctor who left a pair of scissors inside... Blanche, will you stop reading to me? Nervous and jittery about the operation, and I can't stand the sound of your voice. I can just hear you making those insulting remarks to Gloria Gooseby. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. You wouldn't bite her head off like that without her squealing all over the place. I always bite her, and she never squeals. What? This is one night I don't want to hear about it. Hush up and go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. In the morning, they're going to cut out my uvula. Steams me up about Gloria... What's that? It's the telephone. Answer it. Why don't you answer it? It's right next to your bed. I'm not supposed to be here. It might be the hospital superintendent, and I don't want him to find out. Go on and answer it. Can't even get me rest in a hospital. Hello? Mrs. Kimford? Huh? The maternity nurse asked me to call you. You can get ready now. They're bringing your baby in for his one o'clock feeding. <laughs> what? Isn't this room 413? I don't know what it is, but I'm not feeding any babies. <laughs> what kind of a hospital is this? I'm going to get out of here. Now, don't go getting hysterical. Just relax. How can I relax? Well, I'm doing my best to see that you get a good night's sleep. I'm so worried I won't be able to close my eyes tonight. What are you worried about? I thought you said it was only a minor operation. Well, I don't care about that. I'm worried about Nature Boy. Who's Nature Boy? The cat. How is he going to get out tonight? What does he want to get out for? John, don't you know it's impossible for certain creatures to be shut up for the night? How well I know it. <laughs> Why don't you go to sleep, Blanche? I can't sleep. I must find out if the cat's all right. Maybe you ought to call him, John. Okay, what'll I call him? <laughs> no, I mean, call him on the telephone. Have you gone stock staring mad, Blanche? How can I call a cat on the telephone? He'll know it's us, and the ringing of the phone will comfort him. Go on, call Nature Boy. It won't cost anything. Nobody would believe this. <laughs> Calling a cat at three o'clock in the morning. Operator. Get me state seven nine nine seven zero. State seven nine nine seven zero. Thank you. How much can a man stand of this sort of stuff before he cracks up? Oh, don't be so tragic. A lot of people call their pets up. Any sound in the house to break the monotony makes them feel better. Sure. There's no answer. Shall I keep ringing? Just a minute. How many times you wanted a ring, Blanche? You sure she has the right number? Operator, you sure it's the right number? I'll try it again. Hello. Hello, nature boy? Huh? <laughs> Are you all right? Fine. Good. I left the big dish of catnip under the sink. Don't touch the canary. Okay. Goodbye. There, the cat feels fine... Blanche! Who answered that phone? I thought you were kidding. Did somebody answer? It must have been the wrong number. You think so, John? Of course I think so. Don't start making you believe that a cat can talk. 
Blanche, I can't stand any more of this. I'm going home. You get right back in that bed. Dr. Ba- Rasper will never forgive me if you run out on I him. don't care. I don't trust that doctor, and I don't believe he knows what he's doing. I'm getting out of you here. You are not. Everything's been prepared. The surgery, the nurses, the anesthetic. They'll think you're crazy, John. Blanche, it won't work, I tell you. There's no operation that can cure snoring. The guy's a fake. What's he charging you? Fifty dollars. Blanche, I appeal to your sense of economy. I'm a perfectly healthy guy. Never been sick a day in my life. That snoring operation won't work, and we'll be out $50. We won't be out a penny. I made a deal with Dr. Rasper. What deal? If the operation isn't a success, he's going to take out your liver and appendix for nothing. Uh... <laughs> Good night, Blanche. Good night. Good night, everyone. The Dickersons came to you transcribed from Hollywood, California. Tonight's cast included Shirley Mitchell, Peter Leeds, and John Brown. This is John Holbrook speaking. And that's the Bickersons from August 21st, 1951, John's Snoring Dilemma, starring Lou Parker and Francis Langford. Also in the cast, John Brown, Shirley Mitchell, and Peter Lead, sponsored by Philip Morris Cigarettes. But we removed all of those cigarette commercials, as heard on CBS. When we come back from the break, it's Adventures by Morris, Part 1. You won't want to miss it. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Hi, Carl Amari here for Remind Magazine, America's monthly blast from the past. Each month, Remind Magazine focuses on a pop culture theme from the 1950s through the 1980s, covering a wide spectrum of topics from Marilyn Monroe to Marilyn Manson. In every 50-plus page issue of Remind Magazine, you'll find dozens of puzzles, movie posters, trivia contests, classic comics, crossword puzzles, vintage advertisements for products from days gone by, and much more. And every issue features my column, Radio 360, where I focus on a celebrity from Hollywood's golden age and write about his or her radio work. And next to my article is the monthly schedule of the classic radio shows I'll be playing each month so you'll never miss your favorites. Remind Magazine is available at Barnes & Noble and Walmart stores throughout the country. But because I write for this magazine, I'll let you in on a little secret. You can get Remind Magazine for about 60% less than the newsstand price by ordering it online at RemindMagazine.com. Visit RemindMagazine.com and subscribe today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. If you want to hear our podcast, just go to Hollywood360radio.com. 
We put a new podcast up every single week. And at our website, there's also our schedule, thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa, and all kinds of other fun stuff. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for part one of a 10-part adventure. Now, the next 10 weeks, we will be playing this 10-part Adventures by Moore series, originally broadcast over a 10-week period. So it does work the way we are going to broadcast it. We're going to air one half-hour episode every week for 10 weeks, beginning with this episode, part one of The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morris. Now, this was a mystery series. It was syndicated and produced, written, and directed by Carlton E. Morris of I Love a Mystery and One Man's Family fame. He produced this in 10 chapter stories and 3 chapter stories, which were ideal for syndication. Captain Bart Friday was the globe-trotting San Francisco-based P.I., and he was played by Elliot Lewis, David Ellis, and Russell Thorson over the run. His sidekick from Texas was Skip Turner, played by Jack Edwards and Barton Yarborough. Now, these stories covered espionage, kidnapping, murder, secret Nazi bases, snake worshippers, and voodoo. We have a very fun episode now, The Cobra King Strikes Back, Part 1. This stars David Ellis. This is from April 21st, 1946. Here's Adventures by Morse. Adventures by Morse. Carlton E. Morse presents... The Cobra King Strikes Back, featuring Captain Friday. If you like high adventure, come with me. If you like the stealth of intrigue, come with me. If you like blood and thunder, come with me. Tonight, we are plunging toward the land of the Cobra King. Toward Cambodia, which is in the jungle country of French Indochina. Cambodia, the land of the mysterious ancient folk. The land now under the sway of the cobra and the wild elephant and the tiger. The land of oriental myth and oriental wonder. A land to the east. To reach it from San Francisco, one travels to Hawaii, to Hong Kong, to Saigon, which is the capital of Indochina, and then through the jungles northward. This is where the Carter expedition is headed. And right now is a good time for you to meet Dr. Carter, archaeologist, scientist, explorer. Dr. Carter. At the moment, my party and I are aboard the steamship Westphalia between Hawaii and Hong Kong. The object of this expedition into the wilds of Cambodia will be explained shortly. But right now, I want you to know the other members of my party. First, you must meet my daughter, Celia. She's especially trained by me to be a historian of this expedition. Celia, please. <laughs> daughter, secretary, historian. That's quite an order for one girl to fulfill on one expedition. Oh, it's all right to be flippant, my dear, but just remember, there's bitter intrigue and danger connected with this expedition. I love danger. I eat it up. Well, that's my daughter, Celia. The second member of my party, you must know, is Professor Ernst Lebrun, medical advisor and scientific technician. Uh, Professor Lebrun, my friend. Uh, oui, Dr. Carter. I was just remarking that I feel I've added greatly to our expedition's chances of success by persuading you to become a member of my party. Oh, if I did not have confidence in your abilities to lead such an expedition to a successful conclusion, I doubt if you would have persuaded me. 
<laughs> a mutual admiration society, huh? Mademoiselle Zilliard, your father is a wonderful man, and I don't doubt he'll bring this whole business off with flying colors. Well, you've more confidence than I have, then. And now, oh, where's Perry Mill? Here, Doctor. Oh, so you are, so you are. Now, Perry, besides being an admirable young man, is business manager and assistant collector for the trip. I open pray, young man, you didn't leave any of our paraphernalia on the dock back at San Francisco. I certainly hope and pray so myself. I've checked and double-checked. And triple-checked. Honestly, Father, Perry's done nothing since we left San Francisco but rummage around among our effects down in the hole of the ship. Well, I gotta face your father when we unload at Saigon. And I want to face him with everything in order and ready to start for our expedition into the back country. And now the last member of our party, Taquan. Well, you let him go to his stateroom, Father. Huh? Oh, that's right, that's right, I did. What's the matter, seasick? Mm -hmm. Squeamish. Queer fish. Oh, a brilliant scholar, aggridden by the superstitions of his people, but uh, brilliant. Well, all Chinese are superstitious, aren't they? My dear, Taquan is not Chinese. Well, oriental. Yes, oriental. Taquan, Celia, is a pure descendant of the ancient Khmers, a dead race. And it's from this vanished people that the last member of our party is descended. You will hear more of Taquan. Let's break from Adventures by Morse. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Adventures by Morse. But unknown to Dr. Carter and his group... There is a second party aboard the Westphalia, steaming westward under the great golden moon. The mission of this latter group is a carefully guarded secret, a dangerous secret. Heading it is Captain Bart Friday. Accompanying him is his fellow operative, Skip Turner, and his secretary, Patricia Young. And then there's a fourth member of the party, a figure of mystery, a prisoner. Two expeditions... And at the moment, each unaware of the other's presence on the ship. Each unaware that it has friends in the other party. And now darkness has settled on the vessel, throbbing under its pounding propeller. The moon is riding high, is gigantic, is golden. And on the main deck, Perry Mills and Celia Carter are leaning against the rail. Oh, a lovely, lovely moon on the water. First trip at sea, Celia. Oh, yes. Imagine me going way off to such a wilderness as Cambodia. Clear around the world from San Francisco. Ah, lucky girl, all right. You know, I feel rather lucky myself to be Dr. Carter's assistant archaeologist. Dad's a dear. Well, thank you, my dear. Hey, where did you pop from, Father? Evening, Dr. Carter. <laughs> Evening, Perry. See, you, Professor LeBrun will join us in a moment. Then we'll go into the main salon for a short conference. Uh, bring your uh, shorthand book. Yes, Dad. Hey, where's Taquan? Still in his stateroom. He's having a bad time with his seasickness. Wish to retire. You say he's Oriental, but not Chinese. That's right. Taquan is a pure descendant of the ancient Khmers, that race that built such marvels as the Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat, which means Temple of Angkor. That's a good literal translation, Perry. You see, some 2,000 years ago, this race of Khmers arose to mighty strength. A civilization sufficient unto itself. Quite right, Barry. The kingdom grew until it must have held some, oh, 30 million souls. They built great wats, or temples. They had trained armies and a remarkable background, both historical and mythological. 
In fact, they had everything that should have made them a lasting nation. And yet 30 million people vanished from the face of the earth. That's exactly the word, vanished. When Anchor Watt was first discovered some 80 years ago by the Frenchman uh, Mouault, it looked as though the entire population had one day laid down their implements, walked out, never returned. But what did happen to them? If we knew, my dear, we'd not be on this expedition. And we're going to Anchor Watt to see what we can find. <laughs> we is good. Well, I'm part of the expedition, for goodness sakes. Of course you are, my dear. Yes, we're going into the old Khmer realm. But we're not going to stop at Anchor Watt. That particular region has been milked dry of information. Further to the north, however, are other abandoned cities, some of which have been recently discovered, others of which are, well, are only known to exist by rumors and legends. And we're going to hunt for one of those legendary cities? Well, something like that. Only it isn't going to be quite such a hopeless proposition. That's where Taquan comes into the picture. I wondered about him. Professor Lebrun picked him up over at the University of California. His brilliant mind so attracted Lebrun that he struck up an acquaintance and discovered that Taquan was a descendant of the Khmers and had only recently come from Saigon, the French capital in the east. He's an interesting chap, all right. Yes, it seems that he'd come in from the agricultural region and nothing more than a breech clout, and he demanded to be taught. He was turned over to a French parochial mission. Fathers dressed him and taught him. His brilliance delighted them, so they laid aside an allowance to send him to the University of California. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I remember the day Lebrun brought him to see you, Dr. Carter. Yes, the professor knew I was interested in the Cambodia problem, and so he brought Taquan to see me. Developed that he knew the region north of Angkor Wat unusually well. In fact, knew of a city back in the wilderness that has not yet been discovered by explorers. Well, well, it is lecturing Cambodian archaeology. Oh, there you are, Lebrun. Oh, as you say, here I am. There we all are. All except our little premier. Where is he? <laughs> He's not receiving visitors. Having a little private trouble with the old devil sea. Uh, sorry I was delayed, the doctor, but coming up the companionway, the most amazing thing happened to us. Nothing yeah. unpleasant, I hope. Quite the opposite. Uh, would you think I bumped squarely in two? You met someone you know. I say, what depth of discernment. You're making fun of me. Oh, really, I am not. I did meet an old friend, a very brilliant fellow. None other than Captain Friday. Say, you don't mean the Captain Friday in charge of, uh, of the Worth murders in the City of the Dead mystery. <laughs> Remember him, do you, Perry? The very same Captain Friday. And you just ran into him tonight? Oh. Isn't that rather peculiar, Lebrun? Not at all, Doctor. You see, he and his party boarded the ship at Honolulu last night. Well, what on earth is he doing on his way to Hong Kong? Oh, most mysterious. I had to tear myself away to join you folks. Or perhaps I would have found out. He's waiting down in the salon for us to join him. Oh, that's a pleasant surprise. Uh, we'll just postpone our conference until tomorrow. Celie, uh, we won't need you tonight after all. All right. And I'll stay right out here on deck and soak up some more moonlight. Don't you uh, want to come along and join us? Me? Go down there and sit around in a cloud of cigar smoke while half a dozen men hold the floor? I should say not. <laughs> Wise girl. Hey, don't lean too far over the rail. We don't want to lose our historian this early. <laughs> Good night, everyone. And we'll take this companion way. Captain Friday said the main salon. Ah, we. Oui. Here we are. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Carter. Oh, so you brought them down. Well, this is a great meeting. Skip Turner, you here too. Howdy, Professor LeBron. Sure, I'm here. 
playing guard of honor for Captain Friday and his secretary, Patricia. But I say, Captain, who's running your agency back in San Francisco, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I rather think it'll get along somehow for a while without skipping me. Uh, Dr. Carter, this is Captain Bart Friday. My pleasure, Captain. And this is uh, Mr. Skip Turner, Captain Friday's right-hand man. Glad to know you. Uh, Captain Friday, this is Perry Mills, Dr. Carter's assistant. How do you do, Mills? And uh, Skip Turner. Say, this is great. Well, sit down, gentlemen. Drop some chairs. Uh, here's some cars. Hey, now. Uh, Captain, uh, if it isn't a state secret, what on earth are you and Skip doing here so far off your beats? <laughs> well, Professor, as a matter of fact, it comes very nearly being just that. State secrets. Well, you don't say... I wouldn't care to have our business made general knowledge on shipboard. Oh, by no means. I retract my question. Oh, no, no. That isn't at all necessary. I intended to tell you. It's a very unusual story. And, uh, rather fits in with your own work. Something, uh, something to do with the Angkor region? Quite a bit. I've, um, I've got a prisoner aboard this ship. Prisoner? Murderer? <laughs> Bloodthirsty young peacock. Well, he's not so wrong at that. The last man who tried to keep him in chains got himself strangled. Strangled? With a wet silk cord. An Indian thuggy trick. It isn't pleasant. I'd rather have them use a sharp knife myself. On board the Trans-Pacific Liner Westphalia, two groups of people have met. One headed by Dr. Carter, archaeologist. The other headed by Captain Friday, private operator. Captain Friday is telling about a prisoner he has taken to Saigon, French Indochina, the same port from which Dr. Carter is launching his expedition. Captain Friday has just said, I've got a prisoner aboard this ship. His last keeper was strangled. He's an international plotter, a troublemaker. Well, <laughs> looks like you're getting into big business, Captain Friday. After a manner, perhaps. He's a subject of Cochin, China. I'm taking him to Saigon, the French capital. Remarkable. You're going right into our territory. Yes. But there's a closer relationship between your scientific expedition and my little party than that, Dr. Carter. Of course, you know the story of how France got hold of the Cambodia territory. Yes. Mool, the Frenchman, when he discovered the ruins, carried the word back to France. And by being on their toes, French diplomats took the territory over before the rest of the world learned of the Khmer ruins. <laughs> Fast workers, huh? Oh, any nation would have jumped at the chance to get French into China, had they known about it. Yes, it was a rich land, lying fallow for someone to take it. After all, Mr. Turner, Siam was in no position to investigate the Cambodia ruins, even had she known of them. France immediately opened this new and rich scientific field. All right, all right, I'm squelched. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Skip doesn't want to argue the point, Captain Friday, suppose you continue. Well, as you just explained... France got Cambodia by means of a diplomatic coup. Didn't set well with a lot of people in that region, especially those with the Siamese leaning. Many felt that Siam had lost a vast treasure. But France has gotten little return for the amount of money expended in that territory, uh, to date anyway. That's true, Mills. And yet there's much dissatisfaction. Well, that's easily explained. There are innumerable legends of tremendous commerce treasure which are supposed to be buried beneath the ruins of those old cities. Treasure? You mean casts of gold and jewels? Oh, no, much more fascinating loot than that. 
For instance, there's supposed to be a huge emerald Buddha seated on a golden coiled cobra, numerous golden Buddhas, altar furnishings, priests and kings regalia, golden lions, golden howdahs and chairs. My word, Perry, that is a lot of Well, gold. I'm only reciting from the legends. Uh, according to the myths, the Thais vandals came down from the north in great hordes and overran Cambodia. To save their treasures of the palaces and temples, priests buried them beneath the cities with the aid of slaves. Afterwards, the slaves were slaughtered. <laughs> Jolly sort of folk, these Khmers. Well, these rumors are probably at the bottom of the dissatisfaction. Anyway, a certain Cambodian element feel that they've been robbed. Up until the time the French missionaries entered the field and began to educate them, the resentment was unorganized and latent. They were ignorant, had no idea how to go about revenging themselves. Oh, the old, old story. Yes, Dr. Carter. But French fathers continued to educate the people. The French government even assisted their efforts with appropriations. They selected brilliant Cambodian youths and gave them what corresponds to a high school education right in Saigon. Then they selected the brightest of their pupils and sent them to American and European universities. Hey, we have just such a student in our party. What's that, Mills? Sure, a chap named Taquan. Well, we have another locked in Skip's cabin. Extraordinary, Captain Friday. You mean a Cambodian college graduate has become an international criminal? Hardly that, Doctor. He's a representative of the rebellious element in Cambodia. He's been in the United States trying to raise a secret expedition to penetrate the jungles north of the city of Angkor, claiming that he knows the location of another of the lost Khmer cities. Say, you don't suppose... Oh, that... I say, Perry, let's not speculate, huh? Speculation's bad business. Uh, sure, I... I well, of course... Excuse me for breaking in, Captain Friday. It looks as though I'm telling you a story you already know. You mind telling us who this chap is you two have in handcuffs? Not at all. A fellow called Fen Lo. Never heard of him. Have you, Dr. Carter? I don't recall the name. Please go on, Captain. Well, it appears that Fen Lo has been telling that he knows the location of this new city's buried treasures. Rather odd. He didn't dig it up for himself and his friends, then, uh, isn't it? According to his story, it'll take many men and some very modern evacuation machinery to get at it. That corresponds with the legends. The priests are supposed to have filled the passages leading down to the treasures with rock and a sort of cement. Oh, but they wouldn't have to tunnel in the original passage. Couldn't they dig in the earth paralleling the rocked-in part? No, no, Perry. It's too big a job for the natives. Even so, the treasure room would undoubtedly be cased in by a wall many feet in thickness. Yeah, but look here. If there's all this treasure under these cities, why don't the French government dig for it? That's just the point, Skip. The French are not convinced that there is any treasure. It's all rumor and native legend. They're not willing to spend the great sums necessary to excavate on the mere chance of finding something. And another thing. France hasn't had the money to put into such work. Not under present conditions. In the meantime, she doesn't want other people nosing around too closely. By the way, Dr. Carter, how did you ever get permission to take an expedition into the country? By agreeing to turn over 90% of anything we should run across to the French government? Hmm. Don't seem like that. It'd be very profitable. This is a scientific expedition, not a treasure hunt. Frankly, Captain Friday, I'm quite dubious about there being any treasure. I see. Well, anyway, the French government heard about Fenlow's activities in the United States and demanded his apprehension. We caught him in San Francisco and turned him over to the French consulate. A French attaché was started on the trip with him to Saigon. En route to Honolulu, the Frenchman was murdered. You don't say... By Fenlow? No. No, Fenlow was manacled to his berth. 
The attaché was killed on the aft deck. Strangled with a cord. Aha, the worthy Fenlow had friends aboard. If he did, they were never apprehended. Fenlow was taken from the ship at Honolulu, and the French consulate, unwilling to subject another of its attachés to a like fate, called for a couple of volunteers to escort the fellow the rest of the way to Saigon. And you and Skip Turner responded. Well, I'll say we did. A two and a half months vacation, and all expenses paid. <laughs> Every peace officer in San Francisco volunteered. Well, finally, they put me in charge, and I selected Skip to come along. We picked up Fenlow and Honolulu and boarded their ship. And that's the story. But Mr. Turner mentioned your secretary, Captain. Oh, yes. I promised her she could come along on the next case. I didn't know, though, it would take us halfway around the world. But weren't you afraid to have her come after, well, after what happened to the French attaché? <laughs> you don't know our secretary, Mr. Mayo. Skip's right. Patricia's perfectly capable of taking care of herself. However, she's in no danger. It's quite apparent that the whole object of the attaché's death was the release of Fen Lo. If there are any attacks on my party, it certainly won't be against my secretary. A remarkable story, Captain Friday. A remarkable story. Doubly so, since our paths have crossed. Captain, uh, I think I'll take a look in the cabin. I, um, I, I want to give the only Cambodian in captivity the once-over. All right, Skip. <laughs> Skip's as nervous as a cat. He believes there's something mysterious about our Oriental. All Orientals or just Fen Lo? Well, Skip Turner's philosophy says that an Oriental at your back is a dangerous Oriental. Oh, the death of the French attaché probably has a good deal to do with his uneasiness. Very likely, Professor. Fen Lo has been in a sort of cold rage since we picked him up in Honolulu. Prophesies innumerable deaths to pay for the outrage to his person. However, everything's gone smoothly so far. Listen. What's the matter, Mills? That I heard someone call out. I don't hear anything. All sorts of queer creaks and groans on a steamship. I remember... Listen. Someone's running. Captain. Captain Friday. The prisoner's gone. Fenlow's escaped? Yeah. Look at the handcuffs. Incredible. Fantastic. My world. Did he do that? Scraped the flesh off his hands, forcing them through the manacles? He did, and he had someone to help him. There's no doubt about that. He couldn't have done this to himself alone. Pieces of flesh still clinging to the manacles. You're certain about that, Captain Friday? I've seen some strange and terrible things take place in the East. Dr. Carter, I don't believe there's a man in existence that have gotten out of those handcuffs alone. His hands were cuffed behind him and fastened to his bunk. And I saw to it that the cuffs were tight to his wrists. Sure, he couldn't have got away without help. But hadn't we better get on his trail? I don't think there's any hurry, Skip. He can't escape from the ship, and we're still a good number of days from Saigon. But if the French attaché was murdered... The first thing to do is to inform the master of the ship. He'll warn everybody aboard to remain in his cabin, then form a searching party. I'll attend to that myself. Uh, please excuse me. Yes, of course. Now look here, Dr. Carter. Supposing I go give Celia an earful of this and send her to her cabin if she's still on deck. Good idea, Perry. Tell her to keep to her stateroom and keep door and portholes locked. Uh, I certainly will. <laughs> oh, that lad does crave excitement. Up to now, the party's been just fish and beans to Perry. But now, things are looking up a bit. Hmm? A mighty fine youngster. Oh, but aren't Look here, man. I just happened to think of Captain Friday's secretary. Patricia ought to be warned. Oh, by all means. Don't hang back on our account. We'll survive somehow. Yeah, I don't know whether you will or not if you get in the road of that there fan low guy. Oh, I say, Dr. Carter. Yes, LeBrun? Now that we're alone, what odds will you give that our own little Camille playmate, Taquan, 
Hasn't got his finger in Penlow's pie? Be careful, Lebrun. Uh-huh. Right the first guess. I'm afraid so. The chances are that Daquan and Penlow are close friends. Both of them have been sent to American universities by French missionaries. Oh, undoubtedly. And take care, Professor. Don't put the idea into Captain Friday's head. If Daquan becomes mixed up with the authorities, we may never get him farther than Saigon. Our expedition is hopeless without him to guide us. Are you certain Captain Friday doesn't already suspect? Huh? I've been afraid of it. In fact, I have a lunch. But he went to Taquan's stateroom on his way to organize the searching party. Do you think so? I do. Perhaps we'd best go see for ourselves. Uh, come along with me. If he is guilty, I hope he had sense enough to get back in his cabin after his escapade. And I hope our suspicions are wrong. And still the ship plows on. To Quan's cabins this way. Righto. Well, anyway, the moon is still grinning down at us. Doctor, quick, quick, we've got to do something. Oh, I see, You Barry. don't understand. Celia's gone. My daughter's gone? Yes, she's gone. I can't find her anywhere. Come, come, old chap. You look ghastly. I feel ghastly. Oh, look here. Why should you? Why should I? Why should I? Didn't you hear me say that Celia's disappeared? That maniac come here loose and roaming the deck? Suppose he's found her. But, uh, why do you want to suppose that? But the fellow's loose and Celia's gone. Come on, both of you. We'll get the captain. Just a moment, Dr. Carter. Now, look here, Perry. Are you going off half-cocked, or do you know what you're talking about? Oh, I tell you, it's true. Every word of it's true. Where have you looked? Everywhere. I've been on both decks. I've been in all the salons. I even went into a cabin. Was it unlocked? Yes, I... What's that? Quiet, Perry. It's coming from the lower deck. Do you recognize that? No, Doctor. What is it? It's an ancient Khmer death chant. Death chant? There. What did I tell you? Gotta move on. It's Celia. You have just heard the opening episode of The Cobra King Strikes Back, the newest adventure thriller by Carlton E. Morse. Watch for next week's episode entitled Something About the Hooded Snake. And that's part one of The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morris from April 21st, 1946, starring David Ellis. And also in the cast, Barton Yarborough, Jack Edwards Jr., Gene Bates, and Ken Christie. Now, don't forget, for the next nine weeks, we'll have nine more episodes of this series, The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morse. So we'll uh, make sure and play that for you every week. Don't miss it. Stick around. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next week, it's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, the Great Gildersleeve, the Green Hornet, the lives of Harry Lyme, the Abbott and Costello show, and part two of Adventures by Morris with the Cobra King Strikes Back. From my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.